Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you, Patrick? I'm good. Uh, as I was just mentioning to you before we started recording, I heard from my insurance company today, and uh, it looks like I may be, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks from getting a check. So That's amazing. Oh, I mean... When I saw that the that it was the insurance company calling based on the city the number was originating from, uh, I was like, "Oh boy, here we go! I'm about to lock mm-hmm. horns with somebody." And I was, I was, man, <laughs> my suspicions were completely unfounded and entirely wrong. It was a lovely call, uh, yeah. and yeah, uh, you know, I was able to explain things in a way. She was like, "Oh yeah, okay," and she was. You know, wonder what I, she's like, okay, now how many bikes do you have? And initially I say mm-hmm. 10. And then a couple minutes later, as I'm explaining to me, I'm sorry, no, 11. I have 11 bikes left. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, wait, what? And I was like, well, some of them for my boys. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, truly a weight is off as a result of that. I'm very, very psyched. Now I got to ask you a question different subject sure have you seen the return to riding and racing events email advisory that usa cycling sent out i had seen it and i forwarded it to dave who actually participated in the webinar oh yeah uh earlier this week yeah i had i was slammed and i was just like this whatever you know and since he's an event promoter Mm -hmm. you know like just you might want to see what they're saying so he he participated uh, uh, did you two discuss it at all afterwards? Cause I'm still just in shock from what this document, the one email was. What are you in shock about with the email particularly? Well, I mean, okay. So they created a webinar and mm-hmm. the webinar included guidelines and a toolkit for event promoters like Dave, mm-hmm. uh, so that they could begin holding events after USA's B- ban on event permits expires at the end of the month. So, Let's rephrase this slightly. What I'm in shock about is that USA Cycling is going to allow event permits to be issued beginning June 1st. And they've created guidelines for promoters who are eager to jump back in come June 1st. (laughs) I just, um, I mean, that I got that email the same day that I learned that Crusher and the Tusher uh, mm-hmm. Another lifetime event has canceled, mm-hmm. and uh, like a day later, I learned that the Brick Epic was canceled. Um, I'll be circling back to them a little later in the show uh, mm-hmm. for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But I mean, does anyone really think they're going to line up for any sort of bike event the first weekend of June? 
Uh, maybe the second week in June. I know something, some stuff's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so. Stuff like Breck Epic and certainly Crusher and the Tusher and anything large, I, the, this is not surprising. All that being said, as things, this is a very large nation that we live in that mm-hmm. is um, disproportionately affected in many ways by mm-hmm. the COVID-19 situation. And I know that there are very small events. And uh-huh. when I say small, I mean small. I mean like 20, 12 to 20 people, um, you know, that that may proceed, you know, um, Tyler Rand is proceeding with his fork for fark is um, before I say another F word by accident. His, Start his, his, his farm to fork Fondo. Um, uh, he's proceeding with those in, in a very boutique kind of way, you know, where it is like 20 people, you get a mask, you get a picnic lunch, you, you stay distant, you stay outside. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is, you know, cleaned down. Um, the Peaks coaching group is proceeding with its very small camp, same thing, uh, you know, just following a lot of these guidelines. So it it was designed, to my understanding, I mean, you know, Dave sat in on it, uh, to help people decide if that was even possible. You know, like there's a long list of things to check, things to consider, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and a Tusher the Crusher would look at that list and go, oh, Baba, I'm out, you know, like... <laughs> So, so it it does it does seem a little odd, but at the same time, it it's actually in in my mind uh, appropriate and pretty forward thinking for them because we are sort of at that point and people are asking questions. You know, mm-hmm. I had the same conversation and I I instigated it with bicycling because. We have been drumming the ride solo drum, you know, since this started uh-huh, before uh-huh. even USAC said ride solo. You know, yeah. we were like, we should tell people just to ride by themselves because that seems to be the safest. But, you know, I, I opened the door. I said, OK, so there are people up in God's country, Pennsylvania, where there, nobody lives mm-hmm. and they are in code yellow. You know, we have this we have a color coded thing, red, yellow, green. Uh, which means that they can kind of gather again and and do these things. So are we going to tell everybody until there's a vaccine that you must ride solo? Like that's not that's not tenable, and it's not really it doesn't match what they're seeing in their communities with things slightly opening up and whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So you know we're doing the same thing, and we'll be sort of transitioning at some point from ride solo to ride safe and helping people know what that looks like, you know, and in mm-hmm. your community, maybe that still means riding solo or maybe it means riding with one other buddy, you know, like, mm-hmm. but, but it's just to help people navigate these waters that we're going to be in for a while, yeah. you know, and, and that's, and I, to my understanding, that is what USAC was trying to do as well. And, and, and pretty much did. I mean, they by no means said permits for everybody. Let's go. You know, they were just like, People have questions and we're supposed to be some sort of like guiding authority on this stuff. So right. like um, that is what they were doing. And there will be for sure very small uh, events happening, you know, that that will be allowed to be permitted. They, they will, you know, they're going to look different. They're going to look more like very cautious you know group rides but but it's it's something you know it's it's something and uh you know and i think that 
following those guidelines, knowing what we know, learning what we're learning, it, it doesn't feel super risky to me, you know, but honestly. Okay, so then we can say that some of this is just simply my left coast lens. Uh, this is me living in California. Mm-hmm. This is me living in a land of uh, group rides with 120 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not able to wrap my head around, oh, someone would, would actually bother to get a permit before they got 20 people together. Uh, yes. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's the the simple fact that we've now been sheltering in place so long here in California. I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm used to it, but I'm used to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it, it feels odd not to, but like we're it's. You know, I mean, I I think everywhere in every every facet of our society is is trying to envision carefully tiptoe out into, you know, what it looks like as we venture out a little bit and try not to make things bad again. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard, but it it is for sure. I mean, like there are definitely parts of this country that have not been impacted the same way that, that your coast or my coast or, you know, where I, I, I'm mm-hmm. still in red because we're so close to New York and New Jersey, but the yep. Jersey shore is opening up. So are you telling two people they can't mountain bike together? I mean, is that the, you know, or, or uh-huh. that a small event that's a time trial, like say somebody wants to have a time trial. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You know, like, yep. so, uh, you know, that all makes a lot of sense to me. And I think, will go a long way in helping people keep some semblance of sanity as, mm-hmm. as we, you know, sort of inch our way into this and wait and pray for uh, therapeutics and things that will really allow us to, to have more relaxed guidelines. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, I mean, I'm, I guess part of this is I'm accustomed to USAC being kind of don't tone deaf. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. given where I live, I mean, even though we haven't really had that many COVID-19 fatalities here in Sonoma County, but we're part of the greater, great, greater Bay Area. So I look at everything through the lens as if I lived in Soma, you know, uh, right in the middle of San Francisco. So, uh, yeah, it's a. um it's the lumpy mattress paradigm. Not every place is the same. Yeah. And then this is a very, our country's a giant lumpy mattress. <laughs> it's a very, very big. And it's, it's hard. You know, we're still just, we're still learning so much about all of it. You know, and here it, it's, you know, Pennsylvania is much like our country. You know, the, like the one side is very populated and the other side is, and the middle is pretty empty and the northern part's pretty empty. So, you know, 70% of our cases here, and this is not to say that this is not, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. I'm not saying that, but they've been in assisted care and long, you know, and, mm-hmm. and th- that's where the vast majority of our cases are. That all being said, you know, you still, you have workers that are, in these saturated environments that probably ride bikes, you know, and probably would join these. So it's still like, we all still have to be careful, you know? Yeah. 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 So true. Wow. Okay. Well, yes. So, I mean, it, it, it is, they, they didn't just like step out and, and it, yes, they are very 
you know, I, I've I've called them out many times for many things, but in in this in this, this was case, not an occasion to call them out. Yeah, no. In this case, I think that they were uh, taking an appropriate leadership role in helping people try to figure out if they should even consider and what that looks like. And it's a pretty significant checklist, you know, and it's uh, which is which is appropriate. You know, I mean, that said, there's did we talk about this last week that there's a Spartan race happening in Jacksonville in two weeks? No, no. Yeah, I don't. If you mentioned it, I forgot it because I was so incredulous. But no, I don't think you mentioned that last week. I probably I might not have. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. So everybody crawling through the same mud, right? Evidently, yes. I I don't know. I don't know if that's any worse than it ever was, honestly. (laughs) But, you know, the rest of it, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see, I guess. I mean, those yeah. things, generally speaking, are so hard that even if you weren't sick at the beginning, you'll feel like you're sick at the finish. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Cheers, yeah, everybody. we'll see. Very, right. very. Yep. All right. Well, what are you going to pull about this week? What am I going to pull? I have a uh, just a quick sort of listener question this week. I. Uh, says, hey, Celine, have you guys talked about oval chain rings on the podcast? If not, please do. And if there's any benefit, backed up by data. Great show. Keep it coming. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> uh, we have briefly, I remember talking, uh, might have been my pick a couple of years ago already. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't go into super detail, and I'm sure that you probably have some thoughts on them as well. Mm. But, <laughs> perhaps. But, you know, a li- it, they're not... New, like so many of these things, like elliptical chain rings have been around since the beginning of the bicycle as far as Mm -hmm. I. Yeah. okay. Um, the premise is is simple, if very, you know, sort of above my mathematical mind. But the idea is that you use an oblong rather than circular shape that effectively makes the chain ring bigger to deliver more power on the downside. Right. Mm -hmm. But then makes it smaller, effectively smaller on the recovery and the up stroke right. is my understanding of how yeah, they that's a good explanation okay. of it okay um so they haven't gained a ton of traction you know over the years they seem to come into vogue and out of vogue um off-road i think my with my personal experience with them i have enjoyed them more off-road like i which makes sense when i when i get into sort of the whys of that like i put on wolf tooth came out with um, a power track elliptical, they called it a mm-hmm. few, maybe two years ago. Um, and it was for off-road gravel cyclocross kind of use. And it was a more subtle oval. It wasn't quite mm-hmm. as, as egg shaped. Um, like to the deliver Shimano Biopace HP. Yeah. That thing was on oh my <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Um, so the idea was that you would get those benefits, but it wouldn't give you that sort of wonky stomping on grapes kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where you have to learn how to pedal in boxes. Yeah. It, which is just, it, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's supposed to be, it's supposed to like the, the learning curve of them is supposed to be a little less. And, and that said, like I put a 32 on my trail bike and I was honestly ready to ditch it in 15 minutes. So I remember being very frustrated with the thing um because here i do a lot of ratcheting you know there's a lot of timing because Mm -hmm. everything is so um (laughs) chunky that a lot of times and i couldn't 
like I as my backyard trails, that's on like automatic pilot at this point. Yeah. You know, and like I couldn't get my timing right. It just felt like I, I couldn't. Yeah, you know, slipping. I was just getting frustrated. I was just ready to go home and take it off. But I um, I stuck with it. And by the second or third ride, I became a fan of it, actually. Hmm. Like I, I became I, I became to really like it. I noticed that um, spinning up like technical steep climbs felt a little easier. Like I didn't have to shift quite as often to mo- maintain momentum hmm. um, and like hovering out of the saddle to go through rock gardens. I thought I had more punch, you know, I definitely felt, which makes sense because you are using that down stroke more uh-huh. and you conceivably are getting more power out of that because that is the idea. Um, you know, I noticed that they, they just really shined anytime that I needed that little bit of more explosive power to get through things, you know, like once I got the hang of them, um, you know, steep, tricky, rocky pitches, Got easier, that kind of stuff. I I I started to to quite enjoy them. Now on the road, I'm I'm far less sure about mm-hmm. how how I feel. And when I started to dig into the research on them, uh, the studies don't really bear out any big benefit for them. Like when you when you go in, like they did. A, there's there's a quite a few, and they look at like all the usual stuff, like you know, overall power output, oxygen consumption, your lactate levels. All the stuff, your, your time, you know, all the stuff you usually measure in performance tests. And it's kind of a wash, especially in longer mid-distance stuff. Like, they don't show any clear advantage. The only place that I was able to find an advantage, which dovetails with what I was just discussing about being on the mountain, um, is that in short, intense efforts, you know, and I'm talking like they did a study with like 20-second sprints, uh-huh. And they did have a significantly higher power output, so like t- maybe three to six percent higher for those 20 second sprints. So maybe in those situations, you know, and certainly I, I know a couple people that really like them for cyclocross, which also would make sense because that's another situation where you're looking at high, short bits of power, you know, where yeah, you, lots you want of bursts. To, yeah, lots of bursts. But, it, you know, then I like I put this all in and my experience and, you know, right now I don't have that wolf tooth on my bike and I, I can't say I miss it. You know, I changed my drivetrain <laughs> and um, it, it, it is one of those things that I keep thinking, OK, then why don't track bikes have them on? Like like if, if they if, if it was one of those things that was actually better, everybody would be having them. Right. Like I, it, that's I, every time I think about that, I'm like, OK, so why doesn't everybody use them? Like well, then if they were that much more awesome. Mm hmm. You can still get standard brake levers and you can get bar cons, even though nobody makes a frame anymore with brazons, you know, the, uh, uh, the brazon studs for down tube shift levers, but you can still get regular brake levers and mm-hmm. bar cons. Uh, nobody does that anymore because, you know, integrated control levers rock. You know, end point being that, yeah, if they were really that much better, everybody would have shifted to them. Uh, you know, you would have seen all of the product managers going, okay, this is what I need to do. And it hasn't happened. And to your point earlier about they've tried all sorts of different things. There was a bike shop I worked at in 1989, suburban Memphis, 
And the shop had been there since sometime in the 70s, maybe even the 60s. Not a very old shop as shops go, but Mm -hmm. some history. We had an oval chain ring that was truly elliptical. This was not like Biopace or Mm -hmm. the slightly less extreme Biopace HP, uh, which is what Shimano went to when everyone was like, no, no more Biopace. Please stop the Biopace. They... They wouldn't concede that they were wrong, uh, and so they did a slightly less ovalized version. Uh, right. And, uh, I mean, that window where Shimano was forcing Biopace down everyone's throat was the most, uh, the most penetration that ovalized chain rings ever got, and by and large, people wanted them to stop putting them on crank sets. Shimano stopped doing it. Okay. And so, I mean, that one chain ring, it can't have been that old, you know, 1960s at the earliest. So even since I was born, there have been a number of really crazy ideas. The the rotor mm-hmm. stuff where you can like tune just yeah, yeah. where the hot spot is. Um and I I have I have really two reasons to kind of be anti uh, oval chain rings. One is unless all your bikes are like that, it, you really notice it when you switch to a bike with it. You, you really do. It doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you got to be prepared to take all your bikes there or have that one other bike be so specific that you can adapt to it. And then there's the fact that the more oval the chain ring is, the more extreme it is, the worse the shifting will be. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they did Wolf Tooth, the, the one that I spent the most time on on the mountain, went through all kinds of hoops to make it better shifting. But it was a one by. So, like, you oh. know, it, it. Well, that's that's different. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. On the road. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. No, I've never. Hmm. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Well, they were doing it, I think, so you just didn't throw the chain, you know, because in, like one buys, especially the early, like it was kind of more common to like have that sort of problem. So, huh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about with a two buy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew so many people who lost chains sh- shifting from one to the other. If you didn't Easily. start it. Yeah. If you didn't start it the right, you know, you need to actually pick your shift during your pedal stroke. If you just hit well, it all of a sudden, <laughs> forget it. Yeah. Well, then forget it. I mean, then just forget it. Like, who's going to who's going to do that? That that alone makes a lot of sense. Like why they wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. But, but even then, like, I think if the performance was that much better, people would have figured it out. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's but it's just it's, I, I don't I don't see it's there. It's 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 interesting. Like you, it, this whole like whenever people talk about better mousetraps, we were having this whole discussion at bicycling that, you know, the rim brake bike is probably going to go the way of the dinosaur yeah real soon right like who's i mean there would there would of course the hardcores are like oh then i guess yeah i'm just gonna buy one now so i never you know like the cantankerous souls that just want to complain about whatever new innovation there is but i like why would you want a rim bike bike now (laughs) unless you were a cantankerous soul i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yesterday i did my ride on my mark danucci bike rim brakes uh and i mean i've done everything i can to make that bike break as well as possible i've got the ceramic coated rims 
uh, from uh, uh, planking now, Boyd. Uh, Boyd wheel set uh, ceramic coating on the rims so that they break better. I've got compression with the brake hammer. Got really good long reach calipers, the stiffest long reach caliper the world has ever seen. And still, when I would roll up to a light, um, I'd be thinking about, you know, I really do have to pull these levers significantly harder to stop. Uh, I mean, I stopped just fine, but it was yeah, just well, I mean, we things. rode for decades with them, mm-hmm. of course, you know, and with down tube shifters and whatever. But yeah. they, they don't. They're not as dead. Yeah. They, I have bought my last rim brake bike. I'm clear on that. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. I'm done. I'm not done. getting rid of either of them. That's no. that is not going to happen. No, I've already gotten rid of, I mean, because I wasn't <laughs> sentimentally attached to it, but. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the money I've got invested in those two frames, uh, that those are special. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, no, I get that. I, I mean, I pray that my sons are like within a half an inch or so of my height so that they can each get one. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I... I'm sort of surprised that manufacturers persist in offering them. In, in oval right chain rings. Oh, oh chain okay. Rings. We're back to that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's just like, I think that's, that's any industry, right? There's definitely people who get kind of entrenched in their idea that this is better. And maybe it is in some ways, but like, it's just not, but I, they they get so blind to the way the one way it's better that they can't see the larger picture of like why people wouldn't adopt it in the real world. Does that make sense? Like I feel like that I, happens. I, I get, yeah, yeah. Getting invested in an idea is certainly a thing that happens. I mean, witness Shimano with Biopace, right? That went on for a good ten years. But Rip shift. People would live and die by grip shift, man. They'd For be like, no good it's reason. Better. It's better. Like, people just like would just be angry. Like it's but, just better. Okay, but last year I reviewed a Canyon Lux that had grip shift on it, and that bike shifted so well. The, the shifting was so easy, and you know, popping up or down one cog was so instantaneous. That was the first time in my life I ever liked grip shift. Wow. I didn't it was 2019. Existed. You know, I, the wow. stuff had been around more than 20 years at the point that I finally started to like it. So that's one of those where, well, they really did make it work nicely. I have, <laughs> I have not a single negative thing to say about that Canyon. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a dynamite drivetrain wow. on that bike. But, you know, you mentioned that you had the ovalized chain ring from Wolftooth. And there's an example of like, well, why were they in there? Every idea I've ever seen from Wolftooth, dynamite. The road link where it lengthens the uh, the rear derailleur hanger so that you can put mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. a bigger cassette uh, with an, with your existing rear derailleur. It's a dynamite product. You got to take a little care in certain situations with that, but it's a pretty genius product. And one of those ideas that, to my knowledge, no one else had ever come up with before. So to see them jump on the bandwagon of a product that some companies have certainly tried and backed out of, and some companies persist, you know, it was kind of 
odd to see them associated with that when everything else I see from them, I think is really innovative. I think that somebody thought they could do it better. You know, here's to us being a hopeful species. <laughs> I, you know, that's what I love about people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, seriously, like we look at the moon and we're like, I'm, you know, we're going to go there. Like we look at, you know, I mean, that's, that's Let's an amazing this. part of humanity. Yeah. Like, I mean, that we still, so, given the failure rate of restaurants, I was just involved in a s- discussion about this on Facebook yesterday, which was probably the wrong thing to do, but it went well enough. <laughs> but I mean, given the failure rate of restaurants, yep, that anyone still opens restaurants, mm-hmm. complete miracle. That and marriage, I mean, marriage, <laughs> I kind of understand people still being hopeful about, you know, Um <laughs> There is Hope springs eternal, man. There is a charge of neurochemistry that comes with all that that you can't argue with. But restaurants fail at a rate that we're all in grateful. the best of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that anyone still wants to do that, given that it doesn't come with the same payoff of, that marriage does. Uh, we are definitely a hopeful species. And I love yep. that. Yep. Yep. Perfect. that. (laughs) We're going to take a short break for our sponsor Shimano, and we'll be right back. At Shimano, we love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. All right, we are back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you have for us this week? <laughs> um, so I've talked in the past about how routine can help minimize the amount of time required to get ready for a ride. And for mm-hmm. me, it helps mm-hmm. put me in a frame of mind to ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never seen this reported. And maybe, you know, please chime in if you have. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that when I've gotten ready for a ride using a standardized routine, I am ready for that first hard effort in the ride earlier than I would Mm. have been without it. Mm. What I've been looking at lately is how routine can help alleviate anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we we keep keep hitting all the stuff that COVID-19 and shelter in place is doing to us. And in the last week, I've seen a lot more uh, self-reporting from people who are realizing, oh, this isn't depression, it's anxiety. And 
Well, you can tackle anxiety with some of the things that you would use to tackle depression. It is a different phenomenon. Um, I, I mean, for myself, okay, so I'm quicker to frustrate, quicker to anger, and more easily distracted. Find it harder to finish tasks, which is to say, I'm a reasonably normal American right now. Mm -hmm. those behaviors can be associated with either depression or anxiety. And the reality of life, you know, in this age of coronavirus is that we're starting to understand that anxiety is just part of a of our reality. We don't know what the future holds. Um, so I decided to do a little looking around physiologically, the stress we feel as a result of anxiety causes our bodies to release cortisol and adrenaline, right? That duo behind our fight or flight response. Yep. HPA access. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's funny on one side, the whole reason I really got interested in neurochemistry, uh, dopamine and serotonin. That's a good time yep. right there. Yeah. Uh, adrenaline, cortisol, not what I associate with a good time. No, you just when you need it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in very, very small amounts, those two put us on alert, mm -hmm. uh, in more significant amounts, you know, we will feel for lack of better descriptors, anxious and stressed. And then in large amounts, we will briefly feel supercharged fight or flight quickly followed by an energy crash that comes with shaky muscles. You know, our hands are shaking all that. It that feeling you get after the cop pulls out after you went by speeding. Um, mm -hmm, that, yeah. You know that feeling? Mm -hmm, that, that, it's, that is yeah. like a perfect example of like that surge and then that crash. That you, yeah. 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 Uh, near misses for me on a mountain bike. Because around yeah, yeah. here, a near miss. That'll do it too. Yeah. Uh, it's like I see the big rock or I see the drop off. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that was close. And now I'm, you know. That's why shit. you shouldn't get right back on and try like after you like people that get on and cry, like after a crash and try to get right back on and then just cartwheel down the trail again. It's mm -hmm. like, you're not ready. Like, let everything settle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, if you can get on to easier terrain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so adrenaline it causes our heart rate to rise our pupils to dilate blood glucose levels to rise uh when we experience chronic chronically high levels of cortisol which happens when we live with anxiety on a daily basis um it causes inflammation that can lead to injuries lowers our immune function lowers bone density you know if it's uh, on a chronic basis increases the likelihood of weight gain this was something that was covered in a very interesting chapter in Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. The relationship mm -hmm. of sleep and cortisol and, and weight, lane, weight gain and weight loss. Holy cow. Women in menopause. Mm. Yeah. Their cortisol is chronically higher. They're sleep deprived and cortisol encourages uh, fat de de deposits and it causes insulin resistance too. Yeah. And hey, you know, let's not forget rising blood pressure, climbing cholesterol and our growing risk of heart disease. How about that? Yep. <laughs> so for me, one of the things I appreciate about a toy boat, one of the things I appreciate about routine is that it can break me out of rumination. Mm -hmm. Depression and anxiety, as I've shared here before, are just two sides of the same coin depression, rumination about the past, 
anxiety about the future. A routine can break that in two different ways. The first is by bringing greater order to your day, extrapolated out your week, extrapolated further out your month. This wouldn't be a bad time to write a new training plan that maps out the next three or four months on a finer scale, since I'm not actually living that by that myself. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> cough, cough. Uh, just knowing that you have a ride planned for the day can be helpful in that you have that assurance that you've got a pressure release valve around the corner. For those mm -hmm, of us who mm -hmm. aren't writing first thing in the morning like you, um, <laughs> which I should maybe consider anyway, that's a separate issue. So another benefit of developing a routine is that it occupies just enough bandwidth to help break rumination. I know that as I focus on a routine, I'm thinking about next steps so that the whole operation flows as smoothly and efficiently as possible. My mind can drift and I can get some creative thinking done, but it's really, it's hard for me to ruminate. And I find that I am ruminating or on those occasions when I find I'm ruminating uh, as, as I'm in a routine, it's really the first edge indication that I'm screwing up my routine and an indication that I'm in a fairly dark place. If I mm -hmm. can't let go of that, with a, a simple little tool like that. Uh, from what I've read, the available research right now says that it takes about 21 days to establish a routine. Okay. That's also roughly, incidentally, the amount of time that it takes to get used to seeing yourself with a new haircut or a change in facial hair. Really? Yep. About three weeks. Any, any My hair has grown out by then. Um, well, that's kind of a separate issue, but like, okay. it's funny, like if you want to grow a beard, by the time the beard is full, you're used to seeing yourself with a beard. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But when you shave the beard off and you keep shaving for three weeks, you're going like, dude, whoa, uh, hmm. the, the mirror is a very strange experience after shaving off a beard. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I believe that. Yeah. So. I'm now in my fourth week of my new schedule with my ex where she picks up our boys for two hours on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then picks them up three hours early on Fridays. So I'm at the point where I've built a routine around this. And I can say that when I consider how I was mentally when I first got on the bike in that first week we started doing this, mm -hmm. you know, when it was just like, oh yeah, she's here. I should get ready for a ride. Compared to how I feel when I roll out now, I can say I'm calmer and more ready to ride. I actually begin my ride happier. Mm -hmm. I mean, and when I noticed that, it was one of those things that I really locked into yesterday. Uh, when I noticed that, it was like, oh, hey, this is, this is not bad at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, like, my, my afternoon pre-ride routine goes like this. I put on some music in my bedroom, something upbeat. Then I put on cycling clothing, everything but mm -hmm. shoes. I grab my GPS, my glasses, my helmet, and I place them near the door where I have my shoes. I mix a bottle or two, grab any food that I plan to consume on the ride, stuff that into my pockets. I grab my bikes, my bike from my balcony because 
all my expensive bikes are, are on my balcony now, not my garage. <laughs> uh, and I stick my bike just outside the door, put on my shoes, helmet, glasses, bottles of the cages, turn on the GPS, lock it in place. And then I head to the driveway and I'm off with a smile on my face. And it's just that, that change, knowing that I've got that routine once again, has been so nice for me. Um, you know, and the other thing is like, okay, because now it's uh, efficient again and I know what it is I'm doing. And I don't know why I wasn't able to maintain a standard routine like that. Cause I always had one when I did morning rides, the moment I started getting ready, I was on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why this was different, but I have to recognize that it was different because I wasn't doing the same thing at the same time every single day. Yeah. That's uh, perhaps enough right there. Um, I, and then the other thing is I've got a two hour window. And so by making sure I'm ready to hit the door, yeah. the moment she's picking yes. up the boys, I get a two hour ride. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. And all of that, I mean, it makes all of that make sense. And that's why, you know, I, I have always suffered from a lot of race day nerves. Always, always, always terrible, terrible race day nerves. And having a routine is the biggest thing you can do if you are somebody who gets really nervous before events. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is, that occupies your mind and it gets you into that other space. Like, you know, it's just, it's really important. Like, packing your race stuff like you know you have this thing and then you get like even having the same 20 minute warm-up sort of routine it just sort of clicks you into place mm-hmm. and lowers those levels you know of of anxiety where they're manageable mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah there's no question and it's interesting that you say all this because i literally just wrote a piece for bicycling's not out yet about how training peaks you know i was out just riding around and thinking I would like to follow a routine again because, you know, I've been unstructured for a while and that was fine when I had events every weekend, mm-hmm. but now I don't. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't like the anchorless feeling that I'm having of just sort of riding around. And, you know, I, I get out the door and that's fine. I'm not, it's not like my motivation isn't lacking, but I'm, I'm missing that piece for sure. And I'm not very motivated to do, like the kind of hard efforts that actually make me feel better when I've done them and am doing them. Uh, but, but you know, I was thinking if I'm feeling this way, I wonder if other people, and sure enough, uh, training peaks, they're the number of plans that they've, you know, sold or had people downloaded is triple this time this year than over last year. Wow. Yes. So when nobody is training for anything, Right. So that that tells you People right are there looking for structure. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I mean, slight tangent here to have triple the amount of traffic. I mean, that's like an upgrade on servers. That's yeah. that. That's how significant that is. Um, wow. Um, you know, something I'm wondering, I, maybe you've run across something about this. So. I've found, uh, you know, one of the things about cycling is that it, it is considered somatosensory. You're doing this one motion over and over and over. I was Mm -hmm. a drummer for a lot of years, Mm -hmm. uh, people who are knitters. I started wondering if 
by having a dedicated order of movements in my routine in some way counts as somatosensory. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't have enough deep knowledge to say yes, but it, it, intuitively mm-hmm. that that kind of makes sense. It definitely sets the. Um, I can say with certainty, like that, like when you're not organized, right, when mm-hmm. you're doing that, oh, I need to get my crap together and wear my shoes and I'm up the stairs and down the stairs and in the garage and out of the garage and oh, back up the stairs and like, you know, the you know, the drill. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, lift it. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, it's that is mentally fatiguing and it the science is clear that when you start a ride mentally fatigued, your power numbers are lower, like period, like it takes you longer to sort of warm up like that is very clear. So just that alone, like I find when my stuff is out and I know like I'm going to grab this, this, this downstairs, my heart rate monitor, my da 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 out the door, like it's not stressful. My Like I'm yeah. not frustrated with myself because you know, that little those little things frustrate you. Like even disproportionately so. Why am I like this? Why can't I just have my stuff all, you know, like the whole thing. It becomes this this cascade of, self, you know, beating yep. self-flagellation. So it's like that doesn't help you start a ride well. <laughs> like, really? You know, it doesn't. So, like, like the times but, I've gone downstairs in the wrong shoes? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yes. I mean, that that stuff. Or you start rolling down the road and you're like, you have a cap on, but no helmet. I mean, you know, we've all like, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So that alone will get you just out the door with more Watts it, potential right away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, I mean, it's remarkable. And I'm, yeah, I've just been noticing, I've been feeling better on the bike lately. You know, the last, even, even those days when I'm not going hard, cause I'm doing a lot of, reasonably easy rides and then just mm-hmm. every now and then inserting some harder punchier rides uh yeah. you know the, the aging thing and recovery all that um <laughs> and also yeah i haven't feel felt like i really need to be all that doing all that much really hard training because at best i'm probably really just mostly doing base miles for something later yeah for sure yeah yep not sharpening the edges for anything No. No, uh, something else I've noticed, and maybe you can speak to this right now, three hours, two to three hours. I'm really happy with two to three hours. I have felt zero drive to go out and do five or six hours on the bike. And just yesterday was the one year anniversary of doing the last King Ridge Dirt Supreme Grasshopper, which was the end of the series last year. Um, yeah. so, I mean, this time of year. I would have had at least one eight hour day in me, period, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. at least one. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I've done anything longer than four hours in. Well, I don't know. That's how long. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I am. It's funny. I mean, I, I don't have extra time. Like I'm, I'm sort of busier than I normally would be because of various circumstances. So that has been mentally fatiguing for me. I, I've mentioned this a couple of times on this, yeah. but so that, that I have, I've always said like, I have almost infinite physical energy, but very, I don't have infinite mental energy. I've always known that about myself. And 
Um, so being sort of emotionally or mentally tired definitely just takes me down on the bike. Like it, it, it's harder for me. Uh, and I've been the same way. Like I, even if I had a day, I'm like, I just haven't been like, I'm going to ride like forever. You know, I mean, Dave and I've been going out for, you know, good four hour rides for sure. You know, (laughs) but, but, um, yeah, no, I know exactly. And you're not alone. I've heard a lot of people sort of saying the same things. Like it's just not where their head's at. And you know, that's, that's okay. You know? Yeah. I'm uh, trying to just be square with it, that this is how I feel right now today. Uh, and, and, and well, I mean, and three hours on the bike is fine. <laughs> like, like we've got this notion now. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> like a three hour ride is a solid ride. Two hours is awesome. Like whatever. Like you don't yeah. need to be out for just seven hours to call it a big ride. I don't know. Well, my, I think we've got distorted. Like running part of it is, you know, seeing reminders of grasshoppers past. It's yeah. like I'm, I'm in, you know, a, 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 a Dickens novel, you know, grasshoppers past are coming back to haunt me. And, <laughs> and I'm wondering, does this mean I'm not going to ever want to do a long grasshopper again? And I'm trying to go, no, yes, that's this what is it weird. means, Patrick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be the voice of hope. <laughs> what kind of friend are you? It's all over. <laughs> well, okay. I guess I'll sell all my bikes. Yeah. It's I'm going to live in a shoebox. Yeah. Lasso. <laughs> we're, we're done. No more bikes. Okay. Well, no. let's do some paceline picks now. Okay. <laughs> this segues so perfectly into my pick, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is Everstein. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Everest in three hours, can I? Uh, no, no, you can't. Not even Phil Gaiman or Keegan, who who right knocked him off the podium four days later. Oh my lord! Like. Yeah. It's so funny. Everstein is definitely having this moment right now. Mm. And I, I did a piece for Bicycling. You can put up in the show. And it's like I talked to Andy Van Bergen, who's who started the Everstein site. He is not the, you know, the, I, I, ironically, the first bicycle Everster was George Mallory, like the, the grandson of the George Mallory. Really? Uh, yeah, he did it in 1994, I believe. And I've yes. never heard about that. Yes. And he wrote about it. You can find the piece on cycling tips that he wrote many years later that inspired the Hell's 500 guys in Australia. Andy is one of them to go out and do. And they always just wanted to do one big dumb thing a year. And then they had people like wanting to come all over the place and join them. And he's like, I don't want to get permits and do all this stuff. But he, he came up with this idea that you could do wherever you are. And you could mm-hmm. do an Everest anywhere as long as you can prove you did it and put it on this website. And the, you know, the whole thing was born in 2000. I think they did theirs in 2013. And then it became like an official thing with the website in 2014. OK. Uh, but he was like, yeah, it's a six year overnight sensation is sort of what he said. Because <laughs> um, we went on. So so. So Rebecca Rush started, I mentioned this in passing last week, that she put up a challenge, you know, her giddy mm-hmm. up for good, uh, where, and I didn't actually realize, because I hadn't dug, dug too deep at the time, that there are four different levels of that challenge. Like, I don't have an Everest in me right now. Like, like, w- like we were talking, like, that's a whole thing. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's mm-hmm. a whole thing. But 
there's a half Everest challenge, um, which is about just under 16,000 feet of climbing. So <laughs> that's not Dave, a big day. It is a big day. Dave and I are signed up for the mashed oh potato. Oh, my. Yes. So we found our hill uh, that's going to be uh, 16 times up and down. It's going to be 130 miles for 16,000 feet of climbing. Uh Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it was kind of funny because as soon as we like hit the hit the registration button, uh-huh. I got that really fun, excited feeling again. You know, like yeah. we went out and we tested the till and we figured out where we were going to park the car. And now we're figuring out the snacks. And that's it's it felt fun. To be nervous and excited about a big challenge again. Uh-huh. It's, it's doable, but, you know, like, mm-hmm. still serious. You know? like, <laughs> like, if it was an Everest, I would be in a miserable place right now. Because like, that's just not where I'm at. But I, but I am at that one. And there's another, like, there's two other levels down from that. So, um, you know, I think, and, and the more I thought about it, I was just like, it, it's, it makes 100% sense why this is so popular right now. Because it is honestly the perfect challenge mm-hmm. for where we are because yep. it is something you do largely solo um you know it may be minimal support so like whoever your your lockdown buddy is you know could support you or but you can have a car you can do it yourself have a car mm-hmm. have all that stuff um it's it's an event you know, you get like if you if you do it, you get like your little name on the website. You do you get accolades for it. You have to plan. It's it's it it makes all the sense in the world for and you can do it like God help these people. But there are people doing it indoors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it is you can do it there, too. So it, right. it, it it's funny when we went onto the site to figure out what hill we wanted to do, the site had just crashed. Like there were so many people. <laughs> They broke the calculator. Like, Speaking of server you, space. <laughs> yeah. The guy's like, wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's we're, we're going to do it. I think Sunday we've been just looking at the weather. There's a chance of showers on Saturday and I'm not feeling the rain. So uh, definitely on a on a day without rain. But otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, Fatty's 100 miles of nowhere, um, though. That's more achievable. It was, you know, you would go ride a hundred miles. It was up to you mm-hmm. what it was. Generally, the idea was that you weren't going to go out and do one big loop from home. You were going to pick something really finite and do a lot of it. Uh, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Something a little bizarre. Uh, and uh, it reasonably occurred to me that, uh, oh, I should go do our dirt crits course, do a hundred miles of nowhere there. But even a half Everest right now is like <laughs> you've got. Oh it, yeah, it's going to be a long. I mean, it's it's a long day. Long Are you day. two planning to stay together for the whole thing? Or no? Okay. <laughs> no um, I mean, we'll. No, no. I mean, I, I just don't think that that's reasonable because we climb at different rates and paces, and uh, <laughs> it just wouldn't be comfortable for either of us, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely the kind of thing where we'll definitely regroup. You know, we're going to have lunch. Yeah, that that kind of thing. It, it's uh, I can certainly wait here and there, and, and we can do some of it together. So it, I think whatever it'll be an organic process once we get out there. Uh-huh. But 
it's a four mile climb, so it's not terribly long. I didn't want to have to do something like Gaiman did where, you know, we have to go up and down like a billion times. Like that is just not appealing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but still a four mile climb. That's, that's a real effort. Yeah, it is. The first part, it's an, it's an interesting climb. It's a very pretty climb. Uh, it goes along like sort of like a little running stream and then like it's it's shaded, which is important because if it's hot, we didn't want to be all exposed out there. Uh-huh. Um, and it kicks up at the end. So the end, like there's I, I counted like my three self-talk spots like it starts <laughs> Like, tell me about self-talk spots. <laughs> tell me about that. This is just so, me to learn something useful, please. So, so it starts, you know, like just it starts very mild, and then it kicks up and bends to the left when you really start climbing, climbing. Uh-huh. So that's your first sort of like, okay, get through that, and then it like it's lovely again, and then there's somewhere in the middle where it kicks up and gets a little uncomfortable again, but that's not too long, and then it's lovely again, and then the end is where it's the hardest. It's not super, super hard, but it's definitely like, put your head down and just get through it. But that doesn't last too long. And then you're done. You know, so like being able to talk yourself through those three spots is in my mind. Like once we did it, I'm like, this is very doable. Like, I know I can talk myself through these three spots. Even when things are getting very difficult, I'll be able to talk myself through these spots and get through them each time up the hill. So, okay. um, Yeah. Because you need something that that's kind of the fun of picking your climb because you, you can't have something that is so steep that you won't be able to do it. You know, that it's just going to yeah. fry your legs well, and you, you know, don't want it so mild that you're going to have like that. It's going to take you 200 miles to do it. You know, <laughs> like that's because the, the mileage will do you in. Right. Right. And that's the thing I, I've been thinking about. It's like, wow, you really have to be very strategic in how you pick this. You do. And for a full Everest, more so like this. I mean, you can play around a little bit more. It's going to be a sure. very big, hard day for no doubt. Yeah. But like when you're looking at double that, you have to really, really think about what you're doing. You, uh, there's there's definitely a science to that. Yeah, I've thought. And the interesting cal- calculator is fun to play with if you never have. It's, it's very. Oh, fun. that sounds like a rabbit hole for me. It's very fun. You just find your, because you just like find your segments and you just uh-huh. plug them in and it gives you all the stats. Like, Ooh, that sounds dangerous. That sounds like yeah. the sort of thing that could like push me down the road to doing one. Okay. So right. I'm not going to go play with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, um, speaking of virtual challenges, um, you know, like you've just mentioned, uh, you know, this week we do have another one to add to the mix. The Breck mm. Epic is offering what uh, they are. Remember earlier in the show, I talked about the Breck Epic. Yeah. Yep, now, yep. This is the point in the show where we've circled back. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, like an arc. <laughs> yeah. So they're offering what they are calling the Epic in Place. In okay. broad strokes, the event involves riding 549 miles and climbing mm. 71,000 feet. Okay. But with a little twist. Yeah. Well, you've got until September 30th to do it. Okay. 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 That's, that's more doable. Now I'm in. Okay. Now (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) And you can do it like, however, right? Like it's sort of. Right. So what's the idea? What's the idea? Like what's. So just. Well, first you got to explain why it's so long and has so many miles because the actual Breck Epic is not that long and does not have that much climbing. 
So the Good reason it, it, well, it's symbolic. Uh, the reason, uh, you know, the actual event is six days. Okay. And yeah, this goes on. It's been a few years. Yeah. Well, 549 miles and 71,117 feet of climbing is the full distance and elevation gain of the Colorado trail, which is kind of the spiritual heart of the Breck Epic. Ah. When you do the Breck Epic, you spend a few days on the Colorado trail. Uh, And to the degree that anyone goes and does that and thinks this is amazing. I'm dying. This is amazing. I'm dying. It's because of the Colorado trail and you're a Mm. flatland dweller, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, now the week the event would have been held there will also be an additional challenge, a true virtual epic. Uh, that's explained on their site, and I'm not even mm-hmm, going to go mm-hmm. into that here. I've got a friend who did the Breck Epic last year. And, you know, the fact that we could live track her progress mm-hmm. was the coolest. Uh, and so I'd, I'd like check in a few times each day. And there were friends of ours. We were texting each other back and forth with like, wow, she looks like she's doing really well, you know, or. Oh, that section looks really hard. Um, and, you know, along the way, like I did an email introduction for her with Rebecca Rush, uh, only to find out that early in the day they had ridden a section of the course together and had already met. Uh, yeah. And it, so afterwards, like, yeah, she rocks. Yeah, she rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't do the race this year for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I wanted, you know, to like a little show of support for her. Uh, and just because I, I like the organizer and I want, mm-hmm. I do kind of want some challenge, but I don't want to go nuts. Right. It's like, yeah, okay. I can have yeah. fun with this. Yeah. 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 So cool. there's one more little piece of this. Okay. For Paceline listeners who would like to be oh. a part of this virtual challenge, mm-hmm. we have a special code for $10 off their entry. The code is VIPRKP. We'll have a link to the registration on the site in our show notes, as well as I'll, you know, have the the code written out so you can just copy and paste. Uh, Your entry will also trigger a $10 donation to a charity that I'll be talking about in a future episode of The Pace Line. Very cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And I bet they could, they, well... I bet they'd like to rope you in if they could. <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds like something I would be doing anyway, honestly. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. You're going to cover that kind of mileage sooner or later. Right, yeah. right. I think over the summer I will definitely cover that kind of mileage because I average about ten thousand feet of climbing a week, uh-huh. um, and definitely at least a hundred miles. So now yeah. I haven't drilled down in the rules to see if you need to do all these miles by mountain bike. I'm assuming you do. And actually, Uh, you know, 550 miles by mountain bike. That's, that's some riding. It really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, that, that and here it would be much, I would have to take my mountain bike on the road. I mean, it just wouldn't be any other choice just because it's so you just, with all the rocks like it, you just <laughs> like when I was training for all my stage races I was on my mountain bike on the road all the time because uh-huh. you just it's the only way to get miles right you know like when you're picking over rocks and logs you're just not going that that far yeah in the time yeah hmm. yeah interesting so yeah I'm gonna sign up um 
And you've got from a couple days ago, May 15th, well, last mm-hmm. week, uh, until September 30th to log all this. So it's more than enough time. You know, you'll yeah, have a nice little virtual community going on. I'm I'm excited to finally... I wasn't previously inspired to want to do any of these virtual challenges, even yeah. though I thought a great many of them were cool. But this one, for whatever reason, captured me. And like, yeah, oh. I'm in. So no, that's a great thing. Yeah, that's a I'm, great thing. I'm stoked. Uh, and I think I'll be buying a new mountain bike really soon. I think maybe hope, you know. Well, oh, when, yeah. I, when I yeah. get this, okay. this check, right. the insurance from, thing, yeah. again, full circle. <laughs> <laughs> See, we know how to craft a story. Exactly. We're writers. We're writers. <laughs> Which is why maybe you shouldn't trust us to tell a story. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> That's a wrap on another episode of The Baseline. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> hey, keep those questions coming, you know, as evidenced by today. You all are sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Don't forget our Paceline kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. We hope you have enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with the awesome Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to the Paceline.